It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 169 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the heavyweight uppercut to Mike Curtis Blades title aspirations, Nick John Braccia the third. Nick, you're up three and a half points over me, and it hurts. And so your uppercut is a real factor in this one, man. Yeah, man. I've been uh, I've been pittering and pattering, really. You know, since like February, like you're having a lot of trouble uh, getting these points back, and I'm just edging a little bit further away each week, doing the body work, tenderizing. And uh, pretty soon you're going to walk into an uppercut. I don't know if it's going to be this card because this card is meh. You're, you're unimpressed with the card. I think it'll make for some fun fights, but I agree that there's not there's not like it, major implications for most of these. Fights. It just it just lost a major banger in Ricky Simone uh, Sedong Yang. Song Yang, uh, yeah, that was a good one. Song Yang, um, which is now going to be the main event taking over that uh, the top spot in that card that Moicano fell out of. Right, which which I suppose makes sense, and they were like, that card is so bad that we need to. Uh, we need it's to good to give Ricky Simone a main event, I suppose. I, I mean, I agree. As long as it's five rounds, I am I am in full support of it. And Yudong Song has already had five round training camp, at least one, and you know went yeah. into the fourth round. I think with Corey Sanhagen, who's a top top contender, and was doing well against them overall. So this will be intriguing because Ricky Simone also has looked like a beast. But Nick, we're gonna talk about this card, man. We got Sergey Pavlovich, Curtis Blades, Pavlovich, who's seventeen and one. Incredibly impressive record. 17-3 for Blades ain't bad at all either. But Sergey Pavlovich, ever since his UFC debut, has been untouchable. He has finished everybody since well, that that's, fight. That's, that's, well, yeah, his debut was getting put on his back and beat to shit by Alistair Overeem. But since then, yeah. he's looked really good. Yeah, and we do have to... I mean, it, it's tricky, right? He's 31. He's 30 now. I think he was 26 when he made his debut, so was that a learning curve thing? I mean, this was not the best form of Alistair Overeem, but it's still unfair, I think, to throw in a UFC debuting fighter against freaking Alistair Overeem in 2018. Like, it, it's not a reasonable expectation for him to do on that one, but he did kind of get blown out of the water. Um, and then ever since then, he's blown everybody out of the water. And right, couple, but he hasn't... And Alistair Overeem's a pretty good wrestler. It's something that he built up later. Right, yep. but um, <clears throat> but the guys, he has not. I mean, Curtis Blades is an elite heavyweight wrestler, maybe yep. second only to Kane, um, and now maybe perhaps John Jones, but um, and maybe it, you know maybe Steep Bay, but I would probably take Blades uh, in that conversation. Um, but he had like Maurice Green, uh, Ty Tuivasa, Derek Lewis. Those are guys where he was really able to plant his feet. And <clears throat> there hasn't been like a huge takedown test since, so this is this is certainly going to be a moment of truth. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting with 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 Curtis again. Like his anecdote, the thing that has solved his puzzle has been very simple: a serious power puncher at heavyweight. Because he's not a guy that's necessarily going to throw blow you out of the water. He's not going to run right through you, right? And so he's going to give you the opportunity at some point when you're on your feet, whether it be after the round's been restarted or if you somehow make your way up to your feet. He can get knocked out. It's entirely possible, especially with the way that he just explodes into takedowns, right? He can run into that right hand, as we saw with Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou being the only other man to beat him. 
Look, guy's got an incredibly impressive record, but Sergei Pavlovich has the exact anecdote for him. And based on what we saw in the Alistair Overeem fight, it might be the other way around, which is part of kryptonite what makes Kryptonite versus Kryptonite. Exactly. Part of what makes this uh, intriguing to me. And look, I'm really hopeful that Sergei Pavlovich is something special. Um, because if he's not, then Curtis Blades is likely going to figure that out unless, you know, the first big punch by Pavlovich lands. But... Let's quickly talk about last week's card. We didn't get to break it down. We didn't have an episode last week, but Max Holloway went out there and did his motherfucking thing against Arnold Allen. Um, you know, Max Holloway, he can divert his game plan slightly, right? He's never going to go for takedowns. He's not going to He's not gonna use all of the weapons that mixed martial arts has to offer, but he will change his game plan just enough to adjust to his opponent is what we've seen over the last several years with him, where he won't just absolutely pressure forward and, and put it on you if he feels like there's a better way, if he feels like there's a danger element to it. And he was doing really well against Arnold Allen, partially, at least largely on his back foot. He was able to take Arnold, Arnold Allen's... Um, Big big power punch out of the equation by switching to southpaw, which was which I thought was particularly interesting. Um, he's able to switch it up in that way, and that way he's well rounded in his kickboxing, right? But he did really well. He won uh, certainly three rounds. He won rounds one, three, and four. Arguably lost round two to Arnold Allen. It was a close one. One of the judges gave it to Allen, and clearly lost round five to Arnold Allen, in which. Arnold Allen just put it on him, was just going for the finish. It just wasn't going to be enough against Max Holloway, who ended up scoring a knockdown very, very late in that round. What are your thoughts on that one, man? Ah, God, that knockdown was pretty. It was a a learning experience. Listen, Arnold Allen, uh, he showed a lot. He showed a lot in in the loss because he came out in that fifth round and did everything he could uh, to try to win. And uh, we saw, you know, we saw a lot of aggression. It was a good loss. The good laws for him. Max has still got it. You know, he's changed, he's changed his style up, I think, to... I wouldn't say it's exactly like, a, you know, a pitcher who throws more off-speed stuff because they've lost their fastball, but I think Max was a little more conscious of his durability being on a timeline in this fight. Um, and he was elusive. But one thing that has not gone for Max is his hand speed. Um, his, hand, his hands look fast and they looked accurate. Um, so he took, I think he, I don't know what the accuracy numbers were, but I think, uh, you know, down a little bit on the volume from some of his more recent, some of his, his recent fights, but, uh, you know, Max is still there. I don't know if he's, if he really has enough left to make another championship run. Maybe if someone else beats Volkanovski, but like, I don't see that happening. Um, and Allen, like he's... I, I just don't know. Like, I don't know if he's um, going to... If he, I'm just trying to think of what it would take to get Al, Arnold Allen to the place where I would pick him over, over Volkanovski. Um, you know, his power is great. It looked like his, out, his output was better. Um, we'll see. You know? Yeah, also, I, mean, this, I, I have think... to say, this was the fight. Well, this was the fight with the biggest combined ear size in UFC history. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I tend to think, uh, although with uh, Josh Emmett being in the division, I don't know if that's fair to say. I think that Arnold Allen has shown that he is elite, right? He's just not at the very top of that rung. We've got Volkanovski, who's now, you know, about about a half a head over Max Holloway we've seen in their last fight. Max Holloway's still at least, at least, you know, six or seven inches above guys like Yara Rodriguez, guys like Arnold Allen is what we're seeing nowadays, right? Where Arnold Allen is right in that Yara Rodriguez space. Uh, I would I would probably give Yara Rodriguez a little bit more of a chance against Volkanovski because of how just incredibly dangerous he is at any moment. 
could just land a nasty liver kick or, or a nasty head kick at any moment in a fight at whatever distance, at whatever range, and the fight could be over, whereas Arnold Allen is a little bit less likely to just clock you once and get you out of there. So in that way, I would give Riyaro Rodriguez the slight edge as far as like his chances at beating the best, either whether it be facing Max or facing uh, Volkanovski. But, you know, Arnold Allen is right there skill-wise, experience-wise. I mean, the guy just took his first UFC loss. He is now 10-1 and in the UFC, and his only loss is to one of the greatest of all time, Max Holloway, in a you know, a fairly competitive fight and that the argument could be made he won two of those three rounds. Um, and so not a whole lot. Like, it's it's almost like a, the kind of loss that ra- raises his stock just a little bit, puts him more on the radar of fans that may have never heard of him prior to that. So I think a net positive for both fighters. Um, it's just weird because Mac, Max Holloway is now in that mode where he's going to be getting, getting rid of contenders that would otherwise be heading up toward Volkanovski. And it'll make Volkanovski beating them eventually a little bit less impressive. With everyone knowing that Max Holloway already did that a couple fights ago, like we're about to see. That, with that knockdown Rodriguez. was so cool. It, it really was. In, in literally the last couple of seconds of that fight, it was, it was. I think, Max Holloway trying to recreate that Jeremy Stevens moment and kind of leveraging the aggression of Allen to to see if he can like have one of those kind of... Such a, mm-hmm. such a beautiful shot. Jeremy Stevens moment or um, Ricardo Lamas moment? I don't remember what happened. You know what? You might be you might be right. Although I feel like he had moments like that with both. I think you might be right. It was it was, it was more like Ricardo Lamas that that he's known for that moment. I have no like memory of Max down Jeremy floor. Stevens fight, but it probably happened. I don't know. I'm old. There've been a lot of fights. Are you saying there's a chance that I may have just uh, that I may have? Just I don't know. I I, I can't. No, I don't no, know for they, sure. They, I just they can't fought each remember. Other back in 2015, it was ages ago. And if you look at the stats, Max Holloway only landed 57 strikes in that fight, which is. I mean, I can't think of a fight in which he landed less strikes than that on three-round decision. I don't know. Well, against Calvin Cater, he landed 7,481, right? Right. Well, that's the thing. That that was the high mark. That is the UFC record for having landed 445 strikes in that one and having attempted over 700. In this one, again, like part of the difference in this game plan against Arnold Allen is that he wasn't really pushing the pedal in that same way. He was more on the back foot. His goal wasn't necessarily to out-volume. It was to out-slick. He would take a step or two back and then and then shuffle sideways, and that was making it really difficult for Allen to actually land effective shots on him. And he ended up outlanding Allen about two to one. Um, really good stuff by Max Holloway, and it's good to see him having the success that he is having. Let's uh, quickly look at Edson Barboza, man. Got rid of Billy Quarantillo. If you don't have the power uh, or the durability to get through the first round or so with Barboza, even if you're a pressure swarmer, um, it, it often enough is not going to be enough, man. The guy's got the craft to to see that you're ducking your head right into a potential knee, and he took advantage of it. Um, outside of that, uh, the, we got to talk about Pedro Munoz versus Chris Gutierrez. Pedro Munoz. I didn't, man. So I would have picked. I would have picked Gutierrez in this fight if we had done picks last week. For sure, but Munoz, he's got that pop. And uh, I think probably following the victory over, you know, a well past his expiration date, Frankie Edgar, my favorite fighter ever. Uh, Gutierrez might have come in a bit overconfident. He had the size advantage, but Munoz can crack. And Gutierrez learned that. And I think that's one of, this is one of those cases that getting, he got cracked early in the fight, and he probably ne- he probably never got his, his uh, marbles completely reoriented. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like it messed with his confidence and made him a lot more timid. And if you give that kind of space to Pedro Munoz, the thing about Pedro Munoz over the last several years is that he had become way too technical for his own good. What made him a special fighter, what made him effective earlier in his UFC career is that he was just a pressure brawler. Right? Unpredictable and, rage, yeah. Right, right, and he had power in his hands. He had the guillotine. If you take him down, he has a good ground game if he gets on top of you. So in, in several ways, it was a win-win. It was a good combination. And and I think he used to train with Kings MMA 
Monet, and then he switched to American Top Team. And what that did with the Styles, American Top Team tried to make the man technical. That's not always the right answer. I think we also saw that to an extent with uh, Yoanne and Jacek, although the argument could be made that she was getting up there, up there in miles. Um, you know, making her more technical wasn't necessarily the right answer against elite competition. And same thing with Pedro Munoz. I'm glad he went back to his kind of just brawl forward, push forward ways because he's got the athleticism and the craft forward at this point. Um, and especially combined with some of the technique that he's been working on, maybe it wasn't the worst thing for him to go through that technical phase so that he can put it together in this kind of mode. But Chris Gutierrez, we know that if he's on his back, he's not going to do too well. And now we know that, you know, if you're a serious power puncher, and we all know the, the good answer, and maybe we don't all know, but the, the, the right answer to a really good kicking game is pressuring and closing that distance and taking the kicker out of their kicking range. And that's what Pedro Munoz was able to do effectively. Um, Chris Gutierrez didn't have enough of an answer. And then the only other fight I think that's worth discussing. Well, I would also say good, Gutierrez did this thing. I mean, I'm trying to think of the most recent time we've seen it happen. You know, he fought, he fought like a guy, after, especially after he got clocked, he fought like a guy who was trying to hold on to his spot or move yeah. up in the ring. So he did, there was a little something about this Gutierrez performance where I think he learned a bit about where he stands in, in terms of like being ready for prime time with the top five, top eight of that I division. I think so. Uh, I think so. Again, there's a major difference between Frank, Frankie Edgar, who, argued, who beat Pedro Munoz, it, like actually beat him, but should have probably lost that decision. Um, you know, it just like Pedro Munoz should have been able to beat Frankie Edgar more decisively than than I thought he did. And and again, the judges disagreed with me. But uh, again, MMA math is not that simple. And you're right, Chris Gutierrez. I think that right hand really put him in his place. I think he was a lot more timid after that one. And then Brandon Royval, Mateos Nicolau. Uh, I I thought Mateos Nicolau was going to be able to stay safe enough. And we've seen him buzz before. We've seen him knock down before. But I didn't think that Brandon Royval would be able to pull this off, and he did, man. He he came through again. The guy's violent. He's scary. He's, he's an the, opportunistic finisher. No, he's like mini Ortega. He like popped out of Brian Ortega like a Quato. Except and he's just yeah, like this. But, but Ortega hasn't like knocked out a guy like Nikolai. He's knocked out like aging veterans who are on their way out. But man, to knock out Nikolai the I mean, way that he did, he with beat that the shit. Yeah, I don't know. He beat the shit out of Korean Zombie. Like yeah, um, but that's the thing is that's more of a. That's more of a negative for Korean Zombie that he got outcrafted to that extent. I guess the fact I that he's think, slow I, is not a factor, right? But Korean Zombie, against you know the what I mean, though. Like trouble. my my point is that Royval Royval flights to finish with strikes from everywhere, and he's got real he's got no chance of escape jujitsu. Yeah. Like he's a da- he's a dangerous finisher, but he's what what's going to be problematic for him? Maybe not against Moreno. We'll see. But he's certainly not a point fighter. No, Rival is the opposite a of a point fighter. Dude, the, I mean, that guy is such a. I mean, he's such a finisher. It's scary, and he's got the experience at this point to actually leverage that at a high level. And then we got um, just quickly Jocelyn, uh, Jocelyn Edwards, Lucy Petulova. Oh. The only reason to mention this fight is that it was a pretty bad decision, like pretty egregious. Where it was pretty clear that Lucy Petulova won the first two rounds. She spent a good amount of time in control in top position in those rounds. I thought she did fine on the feet as well, pressuring uh, Jocelyn Edwards back. And then she ended up getting screwed on a decision. And you know what? There's basically nothing you could do about it. Like, go, like, go after yourself. Like, that's just the way that the sport, unfortunately, works. Um, if you look at the stats, Edwards did outland Pudilova by a significant margin in that first round, to be fair. And if you're looking at damage first, maybe that, maybe that is what goes in Pudilova's favor. But Pudilova had over three minutes of control time. Jocelyn Edwards landed 17 to Lucy Pudilova's eight significant strikes, right? So, like, that's a difference maker. She also had landed in, in general strikes. Uh, pretty even second round in strikes landed, but 
three and a half minutes of control time for Padilova in that third round. I thought Jocelyn Edwards really put it on her and, and looked good. Look, uh, looking at the stats, it does make it seem more even than it was. I just got the impression that Padilova was clearly in control and dominating. Maybe the judges just gave more credit to uh, Jocelyn Edwards. J- j- strikes She outstruck her by, by two to one, essentially, in that round. Uh, which makes me look at it a little bit differently in retrospect. Um, and then outside of that, uh, outside of that, Nick, I don't think there's anything worth diving into. Let's well, get into. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, remember, we didn't do a show last week, so do you have anything you want to say about Adesanya Paya? I think Israel Adesanya came in with a better game plan, where aggression was going to be the important thing for him. I talked about this before their uh, first UFC fight. Is that Israel Adesanya? Uh, his lack of aggression is what would concern me in that bout. His defense is generally pretty good. His craft is good. Those leg kicks were taking an effect on Arasanya, and I don't know if I buy into the rope-a-dope thing. Um, I do think Arasanya is very dangerous when you're being aggressive against them, the way that Robert Whitaker was, the way that... Uh, uh, I, I forget the name of the fighter who's now doing really well in the PFL, uh, the way that uh, the way that Israel Arasanya's first opponent in the UFC was, right? That aggression is going to serve Israel Arasanya well because he can counter really effectively. He doesn't land very hard punches if you're standing at a distance and afraid to engage with them. He lands really hard if you're going right into his punches. And... He Pereira basically got way too aggressive, and Adesanya countered the way that he does with those looping shots as you know as the opponent's coming forward, and you know Pereira coming cutting down to 185, you know at some point it was going to have an effect on him, right? His durability, we saw that late knockdown in the first round of their first UFC fight, and then you know Israel Adesanya was able to turn that oh, into it was a, a, it was a buzz. It was a buzz, not a knockdown, but yeah, he, I, think, uh, I think he dropped I, him yeah. to a knee if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you're right. Mm-mm. No, no? Um, he uh, he wobbled him. The uh, yeah, it was just like I mean, Pahaya seemed like he had he was doing you know really really well, but he was not defending himself. I think he got he got overconfident, and Adesanya just what a hell of a like Street Fighter two Counter Strike that was. Um, so we'll see we'll see if Pahaya can f- can fly with the boys at um, at light heavyweight. Him against Jamal Hill. Him against. Yuri Prochaska, those are really good fights. Very, very quickly, other things that are worth thinking of note, the Yanez uh, hype train got completely dismantled by Rob Font, so good prospect loss for Adrian Yanez. Like, I guess he's kind of a prospect. The other fight, you know, fight of the night, um, I think it got fighter than it should have. Kelvin Gastelum, Chris Curtis, I mean, I thought this might be a stand there and stare at each other fight, and it wasn't. It was an absolute banger, and... Uh, you know, styles make fights, and I thought that was not going to... I thought that meant that it was going to make make it boring, but I think Gastelum came out with something to prove, and if someone's throwing, Curtis is going to be throwing back. So, uh, lot, you know, lots of chin testing here. Really, really fun fight. Maybe marred a little bit um, by a head by an unintentional headbutt, um, which flash KO'd Chris Curtis, uh, but still, like, both of these guys' stocks went up from, from that fight. And now Curtis is finds himself on the Vancouver pay-per-view, quick return, um, fighting against the Russian sniper. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a decent fight for Curtis, but here's the thing. In this matchup, um, first of all, Kelvin Gastelum looked leagues better than he had in years. It looked like there was oh, yeah. no development and no improvement in several years with this guy. And he went to fight ready, and suddenly there's technical tactical improvement. Suddenly, the the uh, southpaw jab cross, the the southpaw cross, really is not all you have to worry about. Suddenly, he was mixing things up. He was he was uh, going with a with a right jab followed by a right high kick. Right, he was mixing it up to an extent that was really making it much more difficult to predict and see coming. And yeah, mm-hmm. and his gas tank held up, and yes, and absolutely. his hand and his hand speed and his hand speed looked as good as it did five years ago. 
Absolutely. But after he won that first round pretty clearly, I thought Curtis was doing well in that second round, and it was yep. that knockdown. It wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't like Kelvin Gastelum nope. did anything wrong whatsoever. Uh, it was just Curtis literally uh, almost kind of dropping down as Gastelum was coming up, and the top of Gastelum's head hit Curtis Blade's chin. Curtis got buzzed badly. He just dropped uh, Gasolum ended up pounding. Oh, he up. said he said he was out on Twitter. He said he was I, out. I, 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 t- I totally believe that. He looked like he wasn't, and he suddenly woke up due to the strikes that Gasolum was landing. But that's the thing is, had it not been for that moment, because Curtis went on to uh, win the second half of the round as well. And so, if it wasn't for that one moment where the referee didn't notice, which is understandable, it was a fast, it was a fast, high-paced fight. Um, I think that Curtis Blades would have won the fight. And Curtis Blades saying this is not a good look on him. Obviously, like he's getting Chris, very Chris emotional. Curtis. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say Curtis Blades? Uh, Chris yeah. Curtis uh, saying that is not a good look for him, right? Like, like it, to me, it was clear that he would have won the fight had it not been for that headbutt because he, outside of that headbutt, he won the second round, he won the third round. But the fact that he got dropped with a headbutt and then pounded on for a couple seconds gave Gasolin the round. That was the most consequential-looking moment of the round. And, uh, and, and it all seemed like it went... Uh, it all just didn't go his way because of that specifically. It's unfortunate because uh, I think he looked good, and it's good on Gashlin because I think he needed this confidence boost, and now uh, now maybe the UFC can not necessarily throw him back into the fire, but give him another guy around this range. Like, if he has... He's still a young guy. I think he's 31 years old, which is crazy, uh, given the is. history that he has in the UFC. But both of these guys... Contend. He could still be a top, you know, top yeah. uh, five gatekeeper at the very least uh, when he, he was looking like barely a top 15 gatekeeper for a little while there, so... And both of these, both these guys have tremendous beards. That's something oh, we gotta. Oh, great. Anyway, so let's get to picking this. Uh, let's do it, man. We'll so buzz through in twenty nine minutes, this uh, or less, this uh, twelve fight. Uh, let, let's do card. it. One. Uh, this one is uh, in the UFC Apex, and I'm realizing that the UFC Apex is where the UFC is going to give us these lower level cards because anything in front of a crowd, they're going to want to stack up a little bit better, a little bit more. Um, and, you know, selling tickets is a factor. The, the excitement level of the crowd is a factor, and I think that's going to affect this. This could be a slog of a, of a main event, potentially, but um, you are three and a half points ahead of me at this point. Uh, I think most of our listeners know how this works. We each take turns picking fighters on the card until we run out of fights to pick, of course. A winning pick gets you one point, unless that winning pick is a plus 150 underdog to plus 249, in which case you get two points for a successful pick. If you pick an underdog of plus 250 or above, you end up scoring three points with a successful pick there. Nikolai, you are three and a half points ahead of me. This is competitive, but you have been inching your way back. I think I was seven and a half points ahead at some point. So there was a 10-point swing in the last something like six or seven weeks. Good on you, brother, but it's still competitive. I'm still within a few points, and I'm still going to keep plugging away until I beat your ass at the end of the year like I always have. I have the first pick this time. And for my first pick, I am going to go ahead and take in the Yasmin Lucindo versus uh, Brogan Walker matchup. I have to take Lucindo. She's fast. She's a really uh, she's a she's an explosive striker, right? She can be a little bit looping at times, and and might might not be the most technical at times. But her athleticism will take her a long way, especially against Walker, who's a striker, but she's notably slower, has way less power, and she keeps her hands low. Like that's not the kind of style you want to have against an explosive uh, opponent. So I'm going to take uh, Lucindo uh, to beat Walker. Um, so yeah, I was probably going to go with Lucindo also, but not this soon. I'm given pause by the fact that just a couple of years ago, uh, Walker uh, was able to stop the takedown defense and defeat uh, Miranda Maverick with some, you know, with uh, with some really good striking. Um, I know that was very prospecty early Maverick, but it ain't nothing. But still, I was. I just think the odds might be a little bit off. I hear um, that. At minus, That's fair. Minus three sixty Lucindo, but you know, good on you, man. Um, 
I'm going to go with no surprise to our listeners, particularly when they think I'm an idiot. I'm going to go with the biggest favorite, uh, Montel Jackson, to uh, to win the decision against the 341-year-old Ronnie Yaha. Yeah, I will say about Ronnie Yaya, a lot of people look at him as, as kind of a jobber in the UFC. You look at his UFC record, dude, it's really freaking good, considering like how bad he looks a lot of time out there. He is 13-4 and four in the UFC. He is... 28 and 10 overall, which doesn't look amazing, but 13 or 4 in the oh, UFC yeah. is pretty Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just he's not as active as he used to be, and he's yes. gotten really freaking old. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, he's, he's got a loss to Joe Soto in the UFC back in 2017. And let's look at this. Title, cha- title challenger Joe Soto. Remember? That's right. Um, he's been fighting pro ever since 2002, Nick. This man's been at it for over 20 years. I think he won I think he won um, his ADCC, which kind of gave him his big claim to fame, the grappling tournament. I think it was in 2003. So he was a WEC stalwart, like during yeah, the heyday, he the heyday of WEC on versus. That's right. He really was, man. Uh, very much a back in the day fighter. But uh, look, I, I agree with you on the pick. Um, there might be just a little bit of risk, just because you know Haniaya just goes balls to the wall for the first few minutes, and Montel Jackson sometimes makes bad decisions. Montel Jackson's a heavy hitter. He's a good wrestler. And he's incredibly athletic. He's also incredibly tall. He's way bigger in this matchup. So good on you for making this pick. I think it's the right pick to make at this point in the competition. My next pick is going to don't, be... Don't fucking patronize me. I'm not patronizing me, man. You sometimes it's just crane. Sometimes it's just a compliment. Like, mm-hmm. your insecurity... I'm not taking to, it, dude. I ain't taking it. insecurity doesn't have to be the driver for every it's conversation not, you dude, have. It's not, it's, you, you, think, <laughs> you think that me taking your shit and allowing you to disrespect me is what got me three and a half points up on you? No. <laughs> no. Pow, well, pow, pow. You're the one that taught me when you trained me. Left hand, left hand, left hand, right hand. And then knee up the middle, motherfucker. I don't think I ever said anything like that to you before. Yeah, you did. That's a direct quote. I don't. I don't like you call them hands. Like I, I use accurate terms for the individual punch that I'm asking for. Jeez, Nick, come on. Have you learned nothing? Clearly, nothing. Nikolai, maybe, it was, maybe it was one of the better trainers there. <laughs> Nikolai, I'm not sure what it was that led me to win all three years of our competition so far. But rope a dope in you like Adesanya, baby. Oh, oh and oh, three, and then what happened? three, and then what happened? By the way, who's right on that pick? Your boy Stan, just saying, just throwing it out there, brother. So, yeah, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Ricky Glenn and Christos Chiagos. Chiagos is athletic; he's explosive. Um, he can throw some big bombing strikes early. He can get some explosive takedowns and and maybe go for some decent ground and pound. But the thing is, he gets tired, right? He goes balls to the wall for a few minutes, and then he doesn't have the gas tank to keep on pushing that level of pace. And against guys that can't survive that flurry, he does well. But against guys who have Ricky Glenn's veteranship, his experience, his height. Yeah, Glenn is slow as hell. He always starts slow and and doesn't do very well in the first round of most of his fights and starts ends up taking over and putting it on you later on in the fight. Um, he can be defensively, when it comes to his defensive wrestling, he, he doesn't look awesome sometimes. But then if he can get on top of you, his ground and pound is nasty, his striking is solid, he hits hard, he has a good chin. Um, I'm going to take Ricky Glenn here. I think he's a minus 160 uh, favorite, but I, I kind of feel like that's a decent deal. Uh, is there a chance that Chagos can just get him out of there in the first round? Yeah, but not likely. I, I like Ricky Glenn here, even though the odds are closer than several other fights on this card. Yeah, I like Ricky Glenn here too. Um, I'm going to go with a the fight. There may be some broader odds on the card, but listen, I like watching Bruno Silva fight. You never know what's going to happen, and he definitely has a chance to get Brad Taveras out of there on the early side, I think. But it seems like Bruno Silva is the kind of guy who gives you his best fastball, you know, and, like, if he doesn't hit with it or you can't take it, like, he's kind of out of options. And Brad Tavares is a guy who, 
Look at his last fight against Rico Duplessis. It's like, Tavares is still a dog. And the, even though I think Silva has a chance here to maybe end it early, um, if you don't get Tavares out of there, he's just, he's really tenacious. I think he's got, I think he's got more durability. I think he's got um, a wider skill set. And I just think he's a, I think he's a bit more uh, well-rounded and uh, has, has the perseverance um, to be strong through, you know, through three rounds. Yeah, Silva, Silva was fun against Alex Bahia, but like any offensive, like confident fighter is going to be fun against Alex Bahia. Um, I'm going to go with Brad Tavares, the veteran here, because I, I just don't see Silva having enough uh, to starch him early on. Yeah, so here's the thing. Silva's a pretty heavy power puncher. He had a pretty competitive fight with uh, with Alex Pereira uh, on Alex Pereira's kind of way up to that title shot, and he looked really good in his first multiple UFC fights. Man, he looked really he looked like a heavy hitter. He was getting guys out of there for the most part. Jordan Wright, Andrew Sanchez, Wellington Terman, not the greatest opposition. Don't get me wrong, but he was bouncing those guys off the octagon floor, and then. He lost to Alex Pereira, which is understandable, especially in a tough back-and-forth fight in which he landed a lot on Alex Pereira, but Alex Pereira was just too much for him. The fact that he went to the decision with him was to his favor. Then Gerald Mirchar pieced him up, dude. And that is a terrible sign back in August, right? Yes. Like Gerald Mirchard, who normally when he faces a heavy-hitting athletic guy, he's going to lose in the first round more often than not, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so that's concerning for sure. But with Brad Tavares, if you look at his UFC record, Nick, he doesn't have a single, single solitary win over current UFC fighter. Omar Ahmedov, Antonio Carlos Jr., both headed over to the PFL, couldn't cut in the UFC. Christoph Jotko, PFL, couldn't cut in the UFC. Talis Latis is retired. Elias Theodoro ended up getting cut by the UFC. Um, Chao Magalhaes was not that great of a fighter out of the UFC. Nate Marquardt is retired. Lorenz Larkin is in Beltar. Bubba McDaniel, Ricky Fukuda, Tom Watson, Don, Donnie Young. Like, he's, he's got a couple UFC wins outside of that, right? Like, every one of his fights is against guys who could not really cut it in the UFC. Every one of his wins, I should say. His well, they hung, some of those guys hung out in the UFC for quite a while. Yeah, that, no, that's like, fair. That's fair. But He's just been is, around. His loss, his loss to Shabazian is like the one that like. Yeah, that, that, that's really me. concerning. You're right. And outside of that, we got guys like... But Shabazian looked like a world, a world beater then. There was a, pe- a time where Edwin Shabazian in round one was like a mixed martial arts god. And then, like, people yeah. figured him out or his confidence got broke. But, like, none of us watched that fight and thought, oh, geez, Tavares is shot. We all watched that fight and thought Shabazian's a wrecking machine. No doubt about it. But since then, we know that he Shabazian is not all of that. And, and all that Tavares needed to do was get through the first round. And he couldn't, right? Like, he just needed to get through the first round. That fight was his. We know now in retrospect. Um, and so that's concerning. Yeah, Drakus Duplessis was doing well in the first round. Ended up losing the fight because Drakus Duplessis is an absolute madman, top contender he, now. He did well through all three rounds, though. Tavar, like that yeah, was a fight was, of the night contender, and Tavares, Tavares was, looked he, good. He was competitive. Yeah, yeah, no, he's competitive, and Drakus Duplessis is a top guy. What Look, is Bruno Silva going to bring that Drakus Duplessis didn't? Except that, like, Bruno Silva is probably going to gas a little bit. Uh, well, the, both guys gas. Just Drakus Duplessis just doesn't lower his output when he gasses. But you're probably right. Look, Bruno Silva's on a what looks like a downward trajectory. Brad Tavares fights every several years and hasn't fought, you know, hasn't beaten a top-level guy in a while. Um, I just, my point is that I'm very unconfident in this fight, and so I'm surprised you're picking up this early, but I did give the slightest edge to Brad Tavares. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between... I guess I'll go with the Bobby Green Jared Gordon matchup. I like Jared mm. Gordon a lot. His pressure swarming style is pretty awesome. Um, I should I've have been picked on, this. Uh, yeah, I was I, going I, to, and then I forgot. 
God. I've been on the mats with Jared Gordon. We never trained because there's a big size difference, but I, I've been in the training Name with drop. Him. He's a he's a he's a hard worker, man. He's he's really likable. He he's had a history of being um of being on drugs and 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 being on serious drugs. He was a serious addict and he's fought his way out of that and improved his life. He's now in a in a good situation in so many ways. Trains at Killcliffe AC and uh, FC, excuse me, and 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 brought uh, brought his his coach from Church Street Boxing over with him, a coach that I used to train under. Um so or I, I shouldn't say train under, a coach that I've spent time under. And here's the thing though. Bobby Green, who's really slick, really fast, really, really good boxing, good takedown defense against this level of competition, right? I think a lot of this fight hinges on whether or not Jared Gordon can take him down. We saw Bobby Green in his last fight look really good early against uh, against a really good opponent, and then suddenly he gets knocked out by Drew Dober. Drew Dober makes an adjustment in that second round. Bobby Green apparently went into that fight with a broken hand and all that. I get that, but he's got a spotty record over the last several years. So do I think he should be this big of a favorite? No, he shouldn't, but... But Jared Gordon doesn't have the power, the athleticism that a lot of the guys that tend to beat uh, Bobby Green do, right? Bobby Green lost to Drew Dober, super powerful tank of a man. Islam Makhachev, a powerful, strong human being. Rafael Fiziev, explosive, fast guy, although Fiziev, you know, didn't look so good in that third round. Thiago Moises, really good ground game, and, and that was a competitive fight that arguably could have gone either way. Uh, Dracar Close, Francisco Trinaldo, right? He doesn't have the physicality Jared Gordon doesn't that a lot of Bobby Green's opponents who beat him do. For that reason, I'm edging Bobby Green, but there's also a fair chance that Bobby Green is on a downward spiral. Um, getting a win over Nazar Hawkbrost and Ally Quinta is not like Alan Patrick prior to that, Lando Venata prior to that, Clay Guida prior to that, right? These are not top level opponents. And Jared Gordon is in that region, but he's on the upper end of that range uh, of fighters. And and him, Jared Gordon, coming off of a star-making loss in which a lot of people thought he beat Patty Pimblett, um, it wears his confidence, right? He he lost to Grand Dawson, but he's not gonna he's not gonna get taken down and controlled the way that uh, by Bobby Green the way that Grand Dawson did. So, look, I'm picking, picking Bobby Green because I think there's a big there's a big speed disparity, there's a big disparity in stand-up technique. But if Jared Gordon can drag him to the floor. He can do okay. If Jared Gordon can really swarm him, put him on the back foot, put him against the fence, and just put numbers on him and take his shots, Jared Gordon should be okay here. So I'm going to go with Bobby Green, and if, if uh, for the record, if Jared Gordon was a plus 250 underdog, I probably would have edged him for three points. So you're going, you're going with Bobby Green? Robert Green. Yeah. By the way, the, the man's insane and, and is constantly high on something or other. There's a fair chance that he just like does, his body just can't hold up under these conditions anymore. I think we're going to find out in this fight. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving quickly through the rest of this card, I'm going to go... What am I going to do here? Uh, I'll make this pick quick. I don't have a lot to say about it. I'm going to go with Kareem Silva over Priscilla Cachoeira. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I see where you're coming from. I, I probably would edge the other way because I think it's close on paper and Priscilla Cachoeira has insane power. Uh, Silva is is like decent standing up, good fundamentals, but she doesn't have like she, she doesn't really go for it. She doesn't push forward per se. She doesn't desperately go for takedowns in the way that she probably should against Cachoeira. I just think Cachoeira might be able to, uh, given her experience, given the fact that she's now training at MMA Masters at plus one sixty five, probably would have gone for the two pointer there. But I understand uh, where you are coming from with Kareen Silva, who you know is is a really good grappler, right? Like that is where Cachoeira's uh, big hole in her game is and if Silva can go doggedly for those takedowns she should be able to do well here on paper at least I just feel like at some point Cachoeira is going to be on her feet and could knock her out excuse me there's there's a phone call coming in behind me from the iPod my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Francis Marshall and William Gomez maybe I'm picking this one too soon but I just feel like William Gomez is a slick Muay Thai guy 
Um, well-rounded, opportunistic grappler, good striking, low-volume counterfighter is the issue, though, right? He doesn't press forward. He doesn't pressure you. He tends to back up against the cage. He often loses position because he's trying to look look kind of slick, slick and smooth out there. Um, and Marshall's just a heavy-handed grappler, pressures forward, has speed, uh, a little bit too comfortable in the striking range against strikers at times, but he's got explosive takedowns, too. And he counters your uh, kind of strike counters with takedowns, right? So he'll throw a jab, you'll counter with a shot, and he'll duck right into that for the takedown. I don't think that uh, the way that um, the way that Gomez won his UFC debut, I don't think he's going to be able to do it here. I don't think he's going to be able to get takedowns against Marshall, who trains under Kurt Pellegrino. Um, I'm going to give Marshall the edge here, but I think there might be a two-point opportunity on William Gomez. Cool. I was just marking that down. Marshall, for you. No underdog picks yet this week, which is interesting. Well, I would have um, picked Cachoeira, but yeah, no, none so far. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, all right. I'm going to keep with my relative success uh, picking female fights. Um, early on, Kel uh, Rosa was massively favored over Norma Dumont, this fight taking place at 145. Uh, but Norma Dumont's caught up quite a bit, and it's it's gotten close to near even. So you can see what Rose is doing here. The path to a title fight at 145 uh, is definitely much shorter than at 135. Either way, you're getting the same challenge. You're still getting the same champion in Amanda Nunes. Um, but Rosa, who's got good hands, but sometimes can end up in trouble on her back is going against Dumont, who's not a not a terrible grappler and has pretty good punching. Um, amazingly, the 135 regular Rosa has a slightly longer reach uh, than Dumont, who's taller. Uh, tricky, you know, tricky, tricky fight uh, to call. Rosa did just take out Lena Landsberg for whatever that's worth. Dumont was pushed as a challenger at 145, but like. Yeah, it's just really it's really a question of is she going to be able to get Rosa on her back? My my feeling is that Rosa is going to be um, I think Rosa is going to be faster and overall have a bit better movement. And I was actually thinking Dumont uh, early in this. I was I thought that she might be a sleeper, um, but I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go Carol Rosa to continue along the path to an eventual underwhelming uh, title challenge at 145. This is not a confident pick for me at all, but I ended up edging Rosa, uh, even though initially, like you, I, I favored Dumont. The thing is that it, it, just, it just feels like uh, when Dumont gets really pushed is when things start to falter for her. Aspen Ladd just stood at the end of her punches. Daniel Wolf isn't on that level. Felicia Spencer just really couldn't get anything going with her takedowns. Um, but Macy Chazon was able to get things going with her takedowns. Macy Chazon made it a scrappy, messy, high-paced fight, and it seemed like Dumont had trouble with that. Carol Rosa was coming up to 145. I, she's not the biggest 135er, so I don't love to move up and wait for her, um, but she's a high-paced fighter. She has the option of going for takedowns, even though we did see her getting outstruck in her uh, a couple of fights ago by Sarah McMahon. Um, I'm going to give the slight edge to, Hosa, uh, to Carol Rosa, but... Very difficult to be confident in this one. There are other fights I probably would have picked before this one if I was you. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Brady Heisman. Wait, by if I was you, you mean the person who's been outpicking you consistently for the last three months? Is that what you meant? Yes, versus okay. the person who's been outpicking you consistently for the past three and a half years. In oh, my oh, next wait, pick, I love it when you talk about the past, dude. No, the past doesn't exist. 
Well, the last three months is also the past. It's more right? the more recent. If it doesn't exist, the more recent past exists more than the distant past. So you'd rather just look physics. at physics. You, you'd rather physics. Just, <laughs> it's physics. You'd rather just look at a time frame that benefits you. That's fair. It's totally fair, Nick. Um, I'm, I'm gonna pick in the Brady High Stand, the not Batgirl matchup. I actually think look, Brady High Stand is a decent wrestler. He he takes advantage of some control time. Does pretty well in the scrambles. This. Boxing is developing. He's got good cardio to his credit. And you know what? He can get clocked early and then start to do well and take over with his wrestling. The Nobat Gorilla is explosive, fast, high-paced striker. Um, he can have a weakness against wrestlers. I just feel like the experience edge, the the craft edge goes to Denot. The athleticism edge goes to Denot Batgarel. I tend to think he's going to be able to outpace him, if not finish him. I tend to think he's going to be able to outdamage him over the course of three rounds. And with judges increasingly favoring damage over control, uh, I've got Denot Batgarel here, and I think minus 140 is not a bad number. You always pick in, you're always picking that guy. <laughs> Do I really? Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, fair enough. Fine. Utility. How many fights we got left? Two? Uh, three fights left. The main event. The main Tafa, event. We got. We got Tafa Usman and what else? And uh, Well Semmelsberger. Wow. Um, cool. I am going to go with. <clears throat> I have this feeling that. I think that because of his familial relations and some tough exposure that Muhammad Usman is a, is a little bit overrated. I don't think he's bad necessarily, but when I look at the boxing training and the kickboxing fights of Junior Tafa, I got I just I think he's going to be one of these guys who um, shows up with heavyweight power and also precision. Um, big dude, you know, at six three. Um, Usman's obviously enormous, um, but I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Tafa here. I think Tafa knocks him out in spectacular fashion. Yeah, I mean, I... T- That's Nick picking heavyweights, heavyweights and ladies all the time. <laughs> yeah, I tend to think that, I tend to think that Tafa probably has a slight edge. Is this Usman, as far as we can tell, has a really good chin, and I just feel like there's a really simple answer in this matchup for Usman. It's just go for takedowns. How developed is his takedown game? I'm not sure. Obviously, being Kamar Usman's younger brother, and and to be fair, Junior Tafa being the younger brother of of uh, Justin Tafa, right? Like both guys have have uh, somewhat of a lineage in the promotion. I, I would tend to think Junior Tafa might be the more talented brother, whereas Usman is clearly the less talented brother. Um, Usman's 34 years old though, and Tafa's 26 years old, so the the trajectory certainly favors Tafa. Tafa's fast. He's explosive. He's definitely going to win the stand-up exchanges. He could get clocked and dropped because Usman's a really powerful, dense, large man. Tafa's explosive, though. Guy's a finisher. Um, I just feel like with Usman, like, like all he has to do is consistently go for takedowns. Tafa's less than a year into his MMA career, after all, right? Like, he's 4-0. Just a fight or two ago, he, he got taken down and controlled before he had to get up and finish the fight on the feet uh, eventually, whereas Usman might not let him get up. So... It's a really tough fight to pick, and, and I'm glad you're making this pick. Um, I'm giving the slightest edge to Tafa, but... Yeah, I, I'm giving the edge to Tafa. I also don't think... When you're the size that Usman is, like, shooting for takedowns takes a lot fucking out of you. Like yeah, That's true, but, but he's how a much... Big dude. Yeah, he could yeah. potentially do it against the cage, and maybe it's, like, you know, a little less if he's going in the body. I'm just thinking, ducking down low. Like, he's a big dude. I'm just... I don't know. I'm trying to think of a man that large. Um... Tafa should Tafa should be able to to circle away to keep distance to pepper him with kicks. 
I don't know. I just don't see the kind of speed. I don't. I don't see the kind of like re- like wrestling speed that's going to be necessary coming from this Usman. Yeah, I do hear that. Um, I do hear that. And you're right. The speed, the output is not going to be up there. There's an argument to be made that Usman lost uh, lost his couple of Ultimate Fighter fights, really close competitive fights. You could easily say he was losing his Ultimate Fighter win fight, uh, in which he in which he ended up uh, in which he ended up getting the knockout to win the title. But he was losing the fight up until then to Zach Pauga. So again, Tafa is my pick, but less than one year of MMA experience. There's a very simple way to kind of address this fight for Usman. He'd be a fool not to go for takedowns. Um, next, I'm going to pick in the matchup between Sergey Pavlovich and Curtis Blades. I'm diving into the main event. Nick Curtis Blades is a fantastic wrestler. He is the best wrestler at heavyweight by a long shot for a long time. And you're right that the, the only other guy that you can mention in that same league, obviously Cormier is one example. Uh, and then there's Cain Velasquez, right? But in the current day, there's nobody that's a better, more prolific takedown artist than Curtis Blades. We do have, um, uh, we, we do have Williams, Carl Williams, who's coming up, who, who, who knows might be on that level. We'll see. Uh, and he's facing Sergey Pavlovich. He's facing his worst kind of style matchup. A guy that's an extremely heavy hitter. One shot is all it takes for Sergey Pavlovich to turn somebody's lights off. And the only two guys that Curtis Blades has lost to fit that exact description. Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou. So it seems on paper like both guys have the antidote for the other, right? Sergey Pavlovich, the way that he lost to Alistair Overeem his one loss in his UFC debut, he got taken down and pounded. And Curtis Blades is a monster from top position with ground and pound. Here's the thing. I am picking Curtis Blades in this matchup, but because of our point system, because I see Sergey Pavlovich as a plus 150 underdog, I'm going to edge his way as of now. There's a fair chance. Wait a minute. I only see him as 150 on one on one bookmaker. I'm looking at Caesars and uh, REF. I'm at I'm at fight. I'm on uh, fightodds.io, and it only has okay. And, and FightOuts.io had his bet online, so that's a third book that he's a plus 150 underdog. If you want to quickly look at... Okay, I, yeah, fight they, only, they only have bet online. Darn it. I've only been using uh, FightOuts.io, so okay. Lately, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, just only for... Oh, it's funny because REF just turned it to a plus 148 literally during the recording of this podcast, whereas otherwise Caesars now... Uh, it's Caesars and bet online that have plus 150 on Sergey Pavlovich. I'm going to go for Pavlovich for the two points. When I do this, it tends not to work out, especially if I disagree with my own pick officially. I am picking Curtis Blades to win the fight because I think his wrestling is good enough. The thing with Curtis Blades is that he tends to be willing to stand there with you and test out his striking. We saw that in his matchup against Derek Lewis. He was winning that fight standing up against Derek Lewis until he shot in and got knocked out going for a takedown. He was willing to stand up with Chris Dawkins and wanted to prove the point that he was the better fighter. Um, I'm quickly going to look at the stats, but I don't think he even went for a takedown in that matchup, right? Not even to like threaten it and put it into uh, put it into his head. And so there's there's some concern about his, him coming into this matchup with that kind of mindset. But you got to think he he's got to know that that this is not the situation to do this in. This is the kind of guy that touches you once and you're going to drop. I'm going to take Pavlovich because I'm hoping he's something special. He trains in the States now, uh, trains in, in Vegas with with uh, with uh, the people. It seems like at least occasionally at Extreme Couture. seems like he may have spent some time at Killcliffe FC. I like the fact that he's training in the States. He's got to be doing a lot of grappling. I, I like the fact that I see pictures on Instagram with him and multiple other heavyweights who you're somewhat familiar with who have pretty decent overall games. So he's getting some good practice. Uh, but Curtis Blades has five-round experience. If Curtis Blades makes it pass round one, he's probably going to win this fight. And... 
You know who hasn't been past round one in his UFC career? Sergey Pavlovich. That's always a big, big kind of a big concerning point, right? When you see a guy that hasn't been past the first round going in against a a pretty experienced, crafty, crafty veteran who's got a lot of skill. So again, picking Curtis Blades, but for our competition, I'm going to edge Sergey Pavlovich for two points, which I might change. Thank you for that complicated explanation. Um, we're running low on time, so I am going to go with Jeremiah Wells, uh, mostly because... Is it Jeremiah? Is that his first name? Yeah. Yeah, uh, because Matt Semmelsberger has let me down time and time again. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Jeremiah Wells is another guy who just like explodes on you in the first round and doesn't seem like he'd have the cardio to keep doing that kind of thing if you don't get finished. So far, he's finished everyone in the UFC that he's fought, right? So Matthew Semmelsberger is coming off of a really impressive win, like a career-defining win, in which I thought he was going to get dog-walked, man. I, I placed a hefty bet against this guy uh, when he fought Jake Matthews, and he just roughed up Jake Matthews. So I'm going to edge Matthew Semmelsberger, assuming that he can get past the first round. But again, there's a reason why this is... Uh, this is the last pick for either of us is because, you know, neither of us are very confident in it. <laughs> on paper, has a good ground game. On paper, it's explosive, even though his punch mechanics suck. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, this is not the kind of jobber that Wells is used to running through. So I'm going to give Matthew Selmsberger the slight edge, knowing that he can get starched since Jeremiah Wells is extremely powerful. That'll do it for this one, Nikolai. Uh, looking forward to seeing the results. I, I, I get the feeling that I'm going to close the distance a little bit on this card. I, I like... I like my pick versus yours. Not to say that your picks were bad. I just like the, the ones that I got away with and, and the ones that you ended up not choosing. So I'm, I'm into it, Nick. I'm hoping this will work out for me. I need to get my edge back, brother. We shall see. And then uh, I think I think we're about out of time. Uh, next week, it's it's another not awesome card. It's UFC Fight Night Song versus Ricky Simone. We talked about it. Uh, if really? That great main event. Great main event. Yeah, great main event. Mihal Olejanchuk versus Chao Borello is a good matchup. Really good matchup. Um, outside of that, I don't see anything to write home about. It'll be exciting to see Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Marcos Ruggiero de Lima, but not a great fight. Martin Budai versus Jake Collier is an okay heavyweight fight. Yeah. Rose is always exciting. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Rodriguez versus Nathan Levy should be should be fun to watch because both guys are generally involved in fun fights. Charles Johnson versus Cody Durden is a good matchup. I mean, oh, you know, some, some low-key decent yeah, decent I fights, guess. but nothing great, man. This is not a good fight night. No, it's not. No, no man. Who, who, but, was, uh, who is Moicano supposed to fight? Moicano, I was supposed to fight uh, Armand Saryukan, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Which which is a which is a fantastic like that's a that's a pretty high level fight and it would have been you know uh, so you could step up on paper he should have been the favorite in that one it's unfortunate yeah. that Okano had an injury but I I mean, after thinking- that mm-hmm. we go to we go to Sterling Cejudo which is not as good of a card as it sounds like awesome main event but the rest of it is yeah yeah anyhow yeah, so we- um, bunch of mid level stuff coming up uh, outside of the occasional exception of the main events I guess I'll take it over the really shitty cards with bad main events. That'll do it for this one, Nikolai. Looking forward to connecting with you next week, brother. Yes, sir.